We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show, episode 155. I hope everybody out there is enjoying their all-star break. Home run derby was fun. The all-star game was slightly boring. Scott, how's it going? Good, man. I'm, I'm, I'm having some, some R&R, which has been uh, well needed over the past three weeks. I have been looking forward to this all-star break. It finally came. We talked about that. The Yankees somewhat survived, being only three and a half games out of first place. The all-star festivities... For Yankees fans, I thought were pretty unbelievable considering Aaron Judge stole the entire show and is now literally the face of all American sports because <laughs> he's uh, you know a larger larger than life dude. Literally, people are calling him Zeus. Like the guy has uh, has taken uh, I think the sporting world by storm. So I think the, the, him doing this derby was the greatest thing he could have done. The book is out on Aaron Judge. I think it's safe to say at this point. Yeah, the biggest uh, sporting uh, figure in the world right now. According to a lot of people, I heard A-Rod compare him to LeBron James, which uh, might be overdoing it at this point in Judge's career. But hey, that's A-Rod just making headlines. But, you know, funny thing about that is I heard I saw on, you know, on Facebook or somewhere uh, on a, it was a clip of the um, the show with Skip Bayless. I don't even remember the name of it. And uh, Undisputed uh, or something like that. Yeah, whatever it is. There was a uh, just a clip of him talking about the fact that Aaron Judge is now 
uh, at this level bigger than LeBron James because he did the derby. And I agree with him at some point because oh, I was think that who compared him to LeBron. I don't remember who did it okay. originally. I think, no, I think A-Rod might have. But the um, the reason he was saying that was because LeBron's never done in the 14 years he's been in the NBA, he's never done the slam dunk competition. Mm, Whereas afraid if he, to lose. Yeah, and if he had done that early on in his career, you know, who's to say where where he could be even even higher than he is right now? And, <laughs> and you know, know, maybe he wouldn't have had that bad PR early in the in the uh, in his career, and he would have been more likable from the beginning. But I think it was so important for Judge to do something like that because, you know, we've talked about how baseball players are a lot. They're not as they're not marketed as as much of an individual as other sports. So the fact that he went out and did that, and it's only him doing this derby, and he delivered in a m- massive way. I mean, this dude is uh, is on a on that side on the business side as well, like taking off right now. I mean, it's I, I can't imagine being his agent and the amount of offers that are coming through the door. Rob Manfred is ecstatic about Aaron Judge, basically saying he's one of. He's one of the guys they're going to be marketing going forward, which is what we've said for four months at this point. As soon as we saw how Aaron Judge was looking in spring training, we said MLB has a gold mine in Aaron Judge. I said, to, I think I've told you this on the podcast. I don't remember if I have, but I brag about it all the time because it's one of my, uh, it's something I should brag about. Two years ago, I told my buddy who's an Orioles fan, I said, watch out for Aaron Judge. This guy is in the minor leagues. He's coming up. He's going to be the most marketable player in Major League Baseball in two years or whatever it was. And and the reason I said that was because, I, first of all, I did not expect him to hit 330. I just knew he would hit home runs, and I knew the type of person he was and the fact that he was in New York. So I, I felt like that was the personality they wanted. And, of course, home runs are going to be, uh, to me, the, the thing that they want to pu- push forward. I mean, that's what happened. That's how baseball got very popular again. Granted, there were a lot of other things considering – the you know that went into the home runs but home runs were the one chicks dig the long ball so the fact that they got a guy that's massive in size and can hit the ball 500 freaking feet I mean that's the dude so I saw this coming a long time ago yeah it's it's awesome to see it's fun to watch he like you said he definitely showed up what else you got going on (laughs) I have a lot of things going on (laughs) so I'm preparing uh I'm preparing basically my entire life to move in, in case anybody doesn't know, which you probably don't unless you're, you're uh, friends with me on Facebook or you're on, you see me on Instagram, which there aren't very many people in there. Um, I'm, I'm moving up to Boston for an undisclosed amount of time and not to get too deep, but just so that I think it's uh, important that you know we talk to you guys twice a week. Um, there's going to be some potentially different things happening with the podcast. I may not be able to, to jump on an episode once in a while, but... Uh, long story short is we are having our baby. Uh, there have been some complications with the baby and we're going to be delivering up at Boston at the children's hospital. So ironically enough, this podcast will be completely recorded and then produced in Boston for a short time. Um, and, uh, yeah, so we'll be up there for a few months. And, uh, right now, basically my wife and I are just kind of preparing our, our world to move up there for a little while. And, uh, we're heading up there on Friday. So, a lot of life changes going on, and uh, I got my my travel podcasting gear, so I'm ready to go. Yeah, we, the the Bronx Pinstripe Show, a Yankees podcast out of Boston for the month of July. Kind of interesting. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's it's irony at its best. <laughs> we also want to tell you guys about September 30th. Mark that in your calendars because we're doing another event. The BP crew is in full force on June 10th, which was ironically the last weekend the Yankees were good. 
So on September 30th, that weekend, it's a, a game against Toronto. It's a Saturday at 4 p.m. We're going to be doing another pregame party. A lot more deal, details to come, but we just want to let you guys know there's going to be another event. Mark your calendars on that day. It's the last weekend of the season. I know, I can feel it. There's going to be playoff implications in that series, just how the season is trending. Well, I think it's going to be, I think it very well might be a playoff game. I mean, it's not going to be called a playoff game, but it very well might be the um, that, that last weekend. To me, the that second wild card, worst case scenario, I think is where they're, you know, it's going to be up for grabs, probably by a lot of teams. And I, you know, just, I have a very good feeling that the Yankees are going to be in the mix all the way to the end. So, so yeah, it's going to be a big game. I mean, we're going to have, we have a lot of tickets available to us, which is, which is awesome. Even more tickets than we had for June 10th. So we will pretty much have, um, besides uh, like literally two or three rows, the entire section, uh, 205 and 206. So we're, we're going to be, uh, rolling in deep this time. So definitely mark your calendars. Uh, if you're not in New York, get ready to, uh, to come into town on the 30th of September. I have a little bit of a bone to pick with some people on Twitter, Scott, if you'll indulge me for a second. So All-Star Game Night, I was tweeting from at Bronx Pinstripes. If you don't follow it, I don't know why the hell you don't at this point. Scott, what, over 80,000 followers at this point, so you probably do follow it. But I was tweeting from Bronx Pinstripes, and I trolled Mets fans when Michael Conforto was batting in the ninth inning. And I said, Conforto's at bat here is Mets fans World Series this season because the Mets are not doing very well. And I made the mistake of spelling Conforto's name with a D and not a T. Uh, I'm going to wear that one. Hey, phonetic, not a, it was a phonetic spelling, right? Just so you know how to pronounce it. I'm not a Mets fan, so I don't know how to spell his name. I know who he is. I could pick him out of a lineup. I just don't know how to spell his name. Also, I think I'm getting that old man thing where as I get older, I just can't remember how to spell names and how to say names. And, and pronounce names, names, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Levine, Levine. Yep. Right. It's just something that I've noticed over the last few years. And, and I know we've talked about this saying that you, you've also experienced the same thing. Oh, what do you talk? I mean, my memory's gone completely. So, yeah. I mean, there's, there's just my brain starts, I think, every day just loses a little bit of a tick. You would have thought that I disgraced the entire Mets organization. And I guess I did with what I said. Mets fans jumping all over me. They, I was not criticizing Michael Conforto, who's obviously a great player and an all-star. I was criticizing Mets fans. They didn't really take it that way. I also tweeted out something earlier that when Scherzer struck out Judge in his first at-bat on a nasty 3-2 slider, that he was a coward because he didn't throw him a fastball. And about 100 people took that seriously, saying, why should should, uh, Scherzer just serve up a fastball to Aaron Judge? He's trying to get people out. Uh, Yeah, no shit. It was a joke. Some people on Twitter just can't understand that everything is sarcastic on Twitter these days, especially during an all-star game exhibition game that no longer counts. So you, you, you saw the power of the Bronx Pinstripes Twitter account too, because if you say something on there that's like ridiculous, you'll get it tenfold and it comes in in waves. I oh, mean, it, man. It's hard to catch up with. It's hard to stay up with as well. But um, yeah, the fact that the Mets, I, I went back and looked when, when I saw that you put that <laughs> and I went back and looked. I was like, damn, there's a lot of Mets fans on here that are, that are coming at you. We got a glimpse into Mets Twitter for a little bit last night and this morning. It was trickling in this morning, too. Yeah, I thought it was entertaining. I think it's funny. I mean, who cares? It's not that big of a deal. It's uh, So now you have uh, the Mets fans that hate you and the Seattle Mariners fans that hate you. So True. that's two. You're, uh, you got two down. Yeah, well, who should, who should my next target be? Boston's I, too easy. I don't know. I think we need to go back. I mean, we, we need to go back to the well. I think it needs to be Boston. I think we need to go back to the well. 
Yeah, the the rivalry between the Red Sox and Yankees, and who knows, maybe it'll heat up this weekend. But it's just too PC at this point. We're all lovey-dovey with each other, and it makes me want to puke. Well, I'll be wearing a lot of Yankee gear while I'm up there for the next couple months, so I'll try to piss off as many people as I possibly can. Hey, if this were 2003, 2004, that would get you punched. Now it's it's not even going to get you somebody. Somebody is not even going to look twice at you. We'll see. I will I will test the waters. <laughs> You're going to test that theory. <laughs> Uh, we also were supposed to have ex-Yankee, former Yankee legend Jim Larritz on this episode, but he canceled on us about 10 minutes before we were supposed to record with him, unfortunately. We're going to get him on in the future. We talked to him at the, the Dynasty event last summer, and we only talked to him for a couple of minutes, so we were really looking forward to getting his take on a lot of things in a more long-form interview. But uh, Jim Larritz, you're not going to get away from us. You will be on this podcast in the future. Yeah, we had he, he was uh, stuck in Chicago, unfortunately, on on a uh, delayed flight, so he wasn't able to do it. And he's getting in late tonight. He's actually on his way to Connecticut, I believe it's in Connecticut, the uh, for the Johnny Damon, the Johnny Damon uh, charity golf tournament. So that's where he's headed to. Leyritz does a lot of charity golf tournaments these days. He's got to be a pretty good golfer at this point, then. Yeah, I, I assume a lot of these guys are. There, a lot of the uh, retired baseball players must go right to the course. So we'll see if they can. See if they can actually uh, play decent golf. Some of those guys are pretty good. Uh, all right, so the home run derby. The Yankees now have four players who have won the home run derby. First was Tino in 97, which may be one of my favorite home run derbies ever because at that point I was, what, nine years old? And I remember watching that. That's when the derby was on at like 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I remember watching that, uh, watching Tino win. Giambi in 2002, Robbie Cano in 2011, and Aaron Judge absolutely dominating the field in 2017 we thought for a second maybe he was going to get upset by Justin Bohr in the first round but Judge hit 23 or 22 home runs 23 home runs in the first round 47 overall barely breaking a sweat that dude was created in a laboratory specifically to win the home run derby it's almost unfair if he wants to enter the home run derby for the next 10 years he will win it no it's true because there's nobody that can that can uh, put out as little effort as Aaron Judge to hit a baseball 450 feet. I mean, the dude was everybody was like, I can't believe he's missing and it's still going out the right field. I'm like, yes, this is what we've been watching all year, though. <laughs> That's why he has 30 home runs because some of those home runs, granted, a lot of them are not misses, but some of them are. When he does miss, he can still hit the ball out of the ballpark. That's the biggest difference with him and his size. He can miss and still hurt you. And not many people can do that. He's he's It's even bigger than Giancarlo Stanton because people thought Stanton's the biggest, strongest guy in baseball. 50 pounds. Right. I mean, he like you said, it's effortless. It does not look like he's swinging out of his shoes. He hit, I want to say, five balls to right field that I said, oh, crap, there's an out. It's not even going to reach the warning track. And it went about 15 feet over the wall. I know, I know, the balls are juiced. If you listen to anybody talk that the home run derby balls are juiced, whatever. No one else hit that many home runs. Yeah, there's still everybody's still using the same baseballs. It's not like they're different balls for Aaron Judge. I mean, the the guy. That's what's beautiful about watching him do this. His his swing is just so perfect. I put out that video meme, which which I'm getting pretty filthy at these video memes. I got to tell you, the, the we're gonna get some lethal stuff as the season goes on. But the his slow motion swing, I mean, that follow through is just, I could watch it all day long. It's uh, it's almost Griffey-like. Well, <laughs> I don't think there will ever be a sweeter swing than Griffey, but for a big man, Aaron Judge does have a very pretty swing. 
Yeah. Honestly, when you look at Cody Bellinger's swing too, that follow through, it does it gives me uh, some slight reminders of the Griffey follow through. The way that he dips down, he gets that 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 just like ridiculous torque that he uh, that he generates from his swing. Do you think Yankee fans were getting a little bit too excited over a uh, home run derby win? No. Why would they be too excited? It was so much fun to watch. Like this whole thing. I think that that over the past couple of years or however long they've been doing this, this one counts. You know, the um, the whole deal with the All-Star game actually creating a an advantage for the team that wins it, uh, you know, whatever league they're in, which I thought was utterly ridiculous in the first place. But I feel like a lot of the almost the fun was taken out of it for that because they made it such a serious thing. This is supposed to be an exhibition game. This is supposed to be a a showcase of of the baseball talent and and it's supposed to be fun. You're supposed to hear the backstories of all these guys and like this is when the the world is introduced to a lot of players because when you're following one team, especially like you and me, like I'm I'm completely submerged in New York Yankees. It's it's very hard for me to go out and see what's going on with other teams and, and, you know, see a lot of these players because, you know, all my focus and, and my bandwidth is, is uh, on the New York Yankees. So I like the all-star break and the all-star game because you get the insight of all these other guys that are playing all over the country. So, man, I, I think it was the perfect reaction. We should be excited. It's fun. I like what they've done with the home run derby. When they added that clock a couple years ago. Yes. Because it got so boring. Some there was points in like the late uh, you know 2010 2011 time frame where the home run derby would go to like 11 15 at night, and right. it was just round after round of guys taking breaks. You can only watch somebody bring out a Gatorade for a player so many times before it's not funny anymore. So I love the timed rounds. I still think they could improve it. I don't know how. I do like the bracket. I know people were saying that Justin Bohr should have advanced to the next round because he hit the second most home runs. I like the bracket, though, because it does create a little bit of a rivalry between these guys. Each guy has his own matchup. I think that's fun. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, how much fun was it was? Honestly, it was even when I'm rooting for the guy that's going against him. I thought it was awesome to watch Justin Bohr, the way he was just having a blast in the middle of it and kind of pumping He's up the crowd. Big old meathead. Yeah, he is such a goon, and I love it. I actually now I'm now I'm looking at it like okay now who now I'm looking at these prospects again. I'm like okay, I kind of like this guy. He's, <laughs> He's got a little bit of a, an entertainment side to him too, um, but I don't know. I thought it was fun, especially at the at his home uh, at his home park, the way that he was uh, having a blast with it. And that dude was just plucking him out at the end there. I mean, he he had a great round. So, but no, I, I agree. I think the the bracket it is what it is. I mean, you know, it's uh, you you gotta you gotta do something. So you can't always reward the guy um, that that has the most if he's going against somebody who beats him. I mean, it is what it is. They know what it is going into it. Justin Bohr outshadowed Giancarlo Stanton thanks to Gary Sanchez upsetting Giancarlo Stanton in the first round. I'd love to hear what Logan Morrison had to say after Gary Sanchez pummeled 17 home runs in the first round. I don't think Logan Morrison would have even sniffed 17 in the first round. Oh, it was so perfect. I mean, literally, a justice was served. Not even an Aaron Judge didn't do it. It was amazing the fact that Gary Sanchez came out and beat Stanton on the heels of Lomo. I could see I was tweeting that out. And I legitimately couldn't think of his Twitter name, and I didn't care enough to, to Cup actually, of Lomo. Yeah, I was like, I'm not, I don't really care. Put it out, Logan Morrison. He clearly doesn't check it, considering it's still. Oh, says see, he I think he checks Seattle. it. He's a he's a helicopter Twitter. You know, he just kind of well, hovers. Why wouldn't he update it saying he, he's embarrassed because he plays for the Rays? Maybe that's I, it. I would be, wouldn't you? Yeah, <laughs> he's he still thinks he's he's got a big following in Seattle. Still, he's huge on the West Coast. But as much of a beast as Gary Sanchez is, you saw he got absolutely gassed in the second round. Yeah. Didn't matter to judge. He could have no. gone ten rounds. He he could well. 
he would you could you could see him getting getting tired but even when he was you know exhausted i mean at the end of uh cody bellinger's round two when he was going up against judge you could see that he was just completely wasted and he was even talking about that that he's extremely tired and he was still putting some balls out when he was beat like i was impressed by that last like 30 second 45 second stint of cody bellinger because he put a, a few balls over that i wasn't expecting him to do anymore um, but yeah, he, he just has to swing the bat. Literally, Judge just has to make contact, and the ball very possibly could go out. I saw. I forget who tweeted this, but it was. Uh, it made me stop and and just say, "Wow, that Judge was the oldest player in the semifinals. He's 25. Sanchez and Sano are both 24, and Cody Bellinger's 21. I mean, it's just it's it's insane how much youth there was in that event. And that Judge, even though he's a rookie, he's a little bit of an older rookie. Well, yeah, the, I mean, the, if the other comparison, if you're talking about the age, too, is uh, it was Bryce Harper's, I think, fourth All-Star game. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. And he's yeah. 24. He's younger than Aaron Judge. I know. He's That's the crazy. He's the veteran, and he's 24. Yeah. That's crazy. That is absolutely insane. So, you know, if everybody's talking about this uh, this Bryce Harper, uh, you know, eventual landing place with the Yankees, Aaron Judge will be the elder statesman. What'd you think of the ESPN broadcast? Our boy, our boy Mark Teixeira. Uh, Jessica Mendoza and what was it Carl Ravitch were calling it. I yeah. think people were, were were killing them on social media, saying that they're they're idiots. I mean, they did say, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh!" a thousand times. How many times can you watch a 500 foot moon blast by by Aaron Judge and just you just keep saying the same thing? But it's got to be impossible to call a home run derby. I don't know what you do. Boomer at least made it fun in his own stupid Boomer way. He's kind of like John Sterling. Like I'd love to see John Sterling call a home run derby. Oh, that'd be ridiculous. That's that's something right there. They should uh, they should definitely at least have him do one round. You know what I mean with with some uh, with some cam lines. Can you imagine all of awesome. the puns and all of the home run calls he would have? I mean, he would have a field day. You know, I, we just that this is this is a brilliant idea. Uh, we need to take this somewhere. What they need to do is they need to do every round, they need to bring another announcer from a big team like John Sterling or you have Vince Scully or one of these guys and they all do their own round. So you get like a different aspect. That's the idea right there, MLB, if you're listening. Or you maybe get, like you said, yeah, uh, the radio or the TV broadcaster from whatever team the guy is that's calling because he knows the player. He can give you some insight. It's it's tough. And it's same with the All-Star game. We can sort of just segue into the All-Star game. Fox tried. They tried something different. They had A-Rod go out onto the field. They had John Smoltz, who I thought was terrible. And even oh my, Joe Buck I, called him out in the middle. He's like, uh, Smoltz, you're going to say you're anything? talk? Yeah. No, uh, I agree with you. I totally agree with you. I thought Smoltz was terrible. I don't think that was getting enough attention. I, I when, Smoltz, when, when he was opening his mouth, he was saying some corny, corny shit, too. Like, it was things that I was like, why is he saying this? I, I was not expecting him to say it. Like, he was trying to be funny. The whole Chris Carter is a baseball player. Like, <laughs> dude, you're not, it's not funny. He did it. He tried it before with somebody else. I forget who it was, but it's just, it wasn't funny at all. And and when you're not funny and when you're cornier than Joe Buck, you've got problems, <laughs> man. There's a, there's a big issue going on there. But Fox tried. They tried something different. They were talking to uh, George Springer and Harper in the outfield. It was awkward. They didn't really have much to talk about. I don't know how much you can really talk about while a guy is trying to go and watch the game and catch a ball, but at least Fox tried something different. ESPN didn't try anything different. They just put the three people, three boring people. I guess Teixeira is kind of fun, or at least he, he can have some personality, but they put three panelists to talk about 
really far home runs, it gets old after two and a half hours. Well, I don't think you could do much, to tell you the truth. I mean, I think that's one of the hardest jobs to commentate a home run derby. It's not like you're 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 only commenting on how far and hard a, uh, hard a ball is right. hit. So that's stop it. talking. You don't need to comment on every home run. You can. But then there's just let dead the silence. broadcast. No, because you you bring in players, you interview players, you you get background stories on all these players. To they had a ton of background on all these guys. Do do segments like that. Have Carl Ravitch and Mark Teixeira. Mark Teixeira could go to the sidelines and interview players who he played with for 15 years. It wouldn't be awkward. He could just go talk to guys. Oh, is that what happens when you play with guys? It's not awkward when you get the field because Arod was awkward because that's exactly what Arod was doing. is an awkward human, and he was painfully awkward. I cannot st- uh, look. Listen, if you listen to the show, you know damn well my stance on Arod. I can't stand the guy. I think he's, I think he's just like the fakest human being uh, that that is uh, that has ever been on the face of the planet. And I wish you had told me that last so year. Ha, ha, ha. I know. I mean, Nolan Arenado was talking about. Everyone's like, oh, so what do you, what did you do to get, to, what do you do to, 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 to prepare and get so well? He's, I, I go to the gym where I do like, it was a very, like, very ge- generic answer that had nothing to do about any kind of baseball preparation. And Arod, who had his already prepared answer, oh, I wish you had told me that last year so I didn't embarrass myself. It made no sense. <laughs> it didn't even, it didn't even go along with what he, what he said. Because like, come he on, wrote man. down, he wrote down next to his note cards where he has birth control and pull out stuff. He had all <laughs> these one liners canned that he was going to say when he went to talk to Daniel Murphy and Cozart and Arenado. Hey, oh. I know you hate A-Rod, but I think at least he is funny in an awkward way. See, I don't. I don't think it's endearing. I think people think... I think you think it is. I think uh, like Rich thinks it is. I think people I who think are... I think a fan, lot of people do. I think Some a people lot who are of fans people of A-Rod, people deal with A-Rod. I, he, to me, he's just like every aspect of what he's done has not been very good. And the way when he's done very well in baseball, it's tainted. The broadcasting stuff, like while he's a wealth of knowledge, I don't think he's very good on camera. I think he's his mannerisms are they're just awkward to me. <laughs> he's I, robotic. I can't, I can't stand the way he talks. But yeah, I don't know. The You're segment could have been hater. cool. Yeah, I, I think the the segment could have been a lot more fun if it was um, Harold Reynolds. <laughs> Harold Reynolds after his little ESPN scandal doesn't doesn't come around too often to the mainstream anymore. No, he does Fox though. He's on MLB.com. He's on thing or on MLB uh, Network. He's on uh, Fox he's on booted Ovens. Fox booted Harold Reynolds off the broadcast a couple years ago in the World Series. He was horrible. It's, you're the, it's, you're he's on the MLB. Person. Yeah, I know he's on MLB, but he did the World Series. Uh, I think it was the Royals versus the Mets. It was Joe Buck, Harold Reynolds, and Tom Verducci. And you're the only person who liked Harold Reynolds. He's unfiltered. That's why I like him. I like the fact that he just talks. And he's not, he's not trying to, to do anything. He's just talking about his experience. And I like that type of thing. I like hearing about what guys did. And it's, it's, not, it's not completely interjected in a way that's supposed to be on the rundown at this time, on this minute, at this second. I got to say this answer. No, he just kind of spits off the cuff. And I, I like that. So it didn't count this year, which was good. Because I think you and I agreed that was one of the dumbest rules in baseball is that it counted for home field advantage in the World Series. And you can see, like, players were taking it less seriously in the sense that Yadier Merlina came out looking like CeeLo Green or Goldmember, whatever analogy you want to use. Nelson Cruz asked for a selfie with Joe West. But I didn't ever get the sense that the players weren't playing hard. They were just having fun doing stupid shit. I, I thought they played I thought they played hard. I, I thought the game was competitive. I, I think everybody took it seriously. 
to you know on the baseball side of it. You could tell. I mean, <laughs> look what um, Max Scherzer. He was the same <laughs> lunatic that he always is, grunting yelling at himself, off. grunting. I mean, he was overthrowing if 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 nothing else. You know, I mean, he was trying almost too hard um, with with some of those pitches. I mean, the dude was uh, was was hitting high nineties. And just, I mean, every time he throws, it looks like his arm's going to fall off. It's, who was the player? Who was the starter that started the couple years ago? Uh, started the All Star game, and he threw his. He basically said, "I had an injury after the All Star game because I threw at 110 max effort for a full inning." Uh, yeah, I don't remember who it was. I feel like it was maybe Verlander or somebody like that. Possibly. I mean, when these guys go in there, especially the starters, and they only they know they're going to throw one or two innings, it's kind of hard for them, I think, to bottle that up, knowing that they are, they, you know, they're only throwing six outs, and so they have to they go out there and they're they're trying to throw as hard as they can. Plus, you know, I, I think these guys they they relish the fact that this is a show, that this is entertainment, and now that it doesn't count, it can truly be that. So they can go out there and try to prove and show whatever they want to do. It was a it was a low scoring game. It's kind of funny because it, this is just my my perception. I have no I haven't gone and looked at the scores, but I feel like the games are either nine to eight or two to one. Yeah, it's um it was pretty boring in all honesty. The the, the, the actual <laughs> the the game itself it, a it was too, um, a little too slow paced. Yeah, because then then what's carrying the game? Well, it's Joe Buck and John Smoltz is who you're listening to because there's not much action going on, and that probably highlighted the fact that they. You know, I think I'm just numb to Joe Buck at this point, so I can't really say if he was good or bad. I just I'm not a fan, so he's I'm numb fine. to. He's he gets fine. A, he gets a lot of hate for no reason. Yeah, I agree. It's because he's like that guy. You no, know, he just says cheesy shit. You know all why he gets time. hate? He gets hate because he's everywhere. At any time you're in a lot of places and successful, people no, hate you. I don't agree with that. I, I think there's other people that are everywhere as well. That he's just he's corny. He's very corny, and I think that's one of the reasons why he's he's a. Uh, he says like corny stuff. It's not awkward, but it's corny that makes it awkward almost for the other person. I don't know. I don't know if you know how to explain it, but I think I feel like everybody has a has like a a guy in their friend group. It's just like the awkward dude that like says corny shit. I think he's that guy, and he just does it to a large broadcast, and um, it's not well received sometimes, especially by comedians on his own HBO show. <laughs> that is that his short-lived HBO show. I think two of the the most awkward episodes ever. See, if him and A-Rod had a show together, that would oh, be I would never watch it. That would be a factory of awkward. But he was he's everywhere. He calls NFL games, he calls MLB games. He did call the US Open and I thought he was terrible with golf. Yeah, I have no idea. I don't I, the only guy that I really like uh doing the golf stuff is uh, Van Pelt. I think Van Pelt adds a different element to a lot of uh a lot of the golf that many guys don't. Um, but the, uh, the, the fact that he's everywhere, you know, is what it is. He's, he, he's going to be around for a while. So that's why I think I'm just numb to him. I just, uh, I, I deal with him and, and deal with the way he, the way that he talks, but you know, another guy who's kind of like starting to go everywhere, who is, um, he started in the New York area is Ryan Rucco. Ryan Rucco is doing a lot of NBA, doing a lot of Yankee stuff, doing baseball. And I think he's phenomenal. I think he's very good. So I don't necessarily think it's the guys who are everywhere. I think it's kind of the way you uh, the way you actually talk and the, the the quality of work that you put out. Dylan Betances comes in and pitches the third inning and immediately starts looking like Dylan Betances over the last couple of weeks. Does does not have any control. Walks a bunch of guys. He walks Bryce Harper and then the, you can hear the mic pick up Bryce Harper. He's just a guy you can go up there and take. He'll walk you. That was a dagger into the gut of so many Yankees fans watching that game. Yeah. 
Good scouting report, though. <laughs> Good scouting report. That's a that's a baseball mind. He knew exactly what was happening. It's uh, it's not especially if you look at what he's done over the past three weeks. It's not far off. But in an all star game, you should be looking to swing, right? But um, you know, I think the I think it's funny because Yankees Why? fans he's trying to win trying to win the game. Well, no, he's trying to swing. It's an exhibition. He's trying to hit a home run. That's what they all. That's probably why the game was so low scoring because they were all trying to go deep. They were all trying to you know put as good of a swing as they possibly can on something. So what but you're th- saying is Harper is more concerned with his stats than 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 anything. No, I'm saying for this game he should have been ready to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the 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 funny the one thing is, is that if you're a Yankees fan, if you're a Yankees fan watching this game, the world saw a, a small glimpse of what we've been seeing. Dallin Batanz is walking guys and. Uh, pass balls going behind uh, Gary Sanchez, Gary Sanchez and Gary Sanchez going to the mound <laughs> and ex Yankees Robinson Cano and Andrew Miller hitting the home run to win the game and then saving the game. Yeah, there you go. Robinson couple, Cano's dead to me. Couple stats on Betances that uh, before June 21st he had a .4 ERA. It's now up to 3.18. And he's got 26 walks in 28 innings pitched this year. Almost one walk per nine innings. It's funny. I'm looking at the acronym. I mean, excuse right now. me, one walk per inning. Almost nine walks per nine innings. What's the acronym for that? Uh, for, YIPS. Yeah, YIPS. <laughs> it's pretty, uh, pretty, pretty good for what he's going through right now because he can't throw strikes. I don't know what the deal is, and it's it's evident now in the All Star game when he should be loose. Uh, I don't know. He's uh, he's still worrying me, but. Um, We'll see. Hopefully he got a nice little mental break. The thing is, unlike Clippard, who can't throw a strike anywhere because he'll get pummeled, Betances' stuff is good enough to throw it no matter where it goes. It should get a guy out. I know he can't just pipe fastballs down the middle, but he doesn't have to be perfectly on the black with every pitch. But that's the problem. That's what we've been talking about. It's, it's a league now where you can't just get by with a fastball that's 98 miles an hour. They will hit it. Anybody can hit that. It doesn't matter. You have to be able to locate it. You have to be able to locate your secondary pitch to be effective. It's not a fastball league on, on the pitcher side. The, those big fastballs are not the only things getting guys out anymore. you got to be able to locate them. A little sabermetrics for you. I know how you love sabermetric stats. The Yankees are 45-41, and 41, as we know, but their Pythagorean record actually says they should be seven games better because they have a very good run differential of nine, plus 98. So do you think that they have that they've just gotten a little bit unlucky? That's what that would suggest that they they've gotten a little bit unlucky or do you think it's the team definitely regressed towards the mean and they're probably closer to a 500 team than to a 97 win team which is what 52 wins or whatever would be kind of on pace for. Yeah, see I I really I don't see this team as as a 500 team. I think they're a lot better than that. I I think this past 3 weeks I think what we hit I'm not going to call it unlucky either because there were literally, you know, a handful of guys, more than a handful, two handful of guys that were just performing under their abilities. And and they did it all at one time. It's it's almost what happened early in the year where there were a lot of guys over exceeding what they would normally do, you know, based on their abilities. We saw a lot of guys in a very short amount of time just destroy themselves and play terribly. And right, you can handle slumps one at a time. You can't yes. handle half a team having a team slump. slumps are bad. Team slumps don't ever end well. That's why I, I think this team is a lot better and they can come out of it because you know I think it's such it's such a a rare thing to see this many guys do do poorly on top of the amount of injuries that that hit this team all at the same time. All of these things happened at one time, and that's a a pretty detrimental hit. 
to take as a ball club. So that, that this is why I think if they can get healthy, that's that's half of the problem uh, that I think they can right the ship because they're definitely a better team than what we've seen. There's no doubt about it. They're not that team. And uh, I think they're better than 500 too. So uh, I expect them to correct it. Most of the injuries have come on the offensive side. And their offense, while it hasn't been the problem over the last month, they are batting 238, which is a lot lower than their 275 batting average, which for a team is amazing in the first 60 games of the season. They, they will get Starlin Castro back, who's going to have a rehab assignment this week. They should get Matt Holiday back some point this weekend or shortly after this weekend. And I know Hicks had the oblique injury, so he's probably still more towards the end of the month. But you get those three guys back, then maybe that batting average and, and those power numbers go back up to what it was in the first two months. Yeah, well, plus we're also riding the uh, the waves of, of some of these young guys with, um, you know, with uh, Anduar, who came up and had a, a good, what, two games, or was that just one game? And Frazier, who has obviously made an impact on his on his time in the Bronx too. So, you know, there's there's like I, I'm I'm not I'm not putting the Hicks uh, him getting back as high as a priority as some of these other guys because it seems like our, our outfield just because of the depth they're they're able to carry it. Plus, I'm, I honestly don't have the confidence of Hicks coming back and doing what he did in the first half. Um, but you know, they're 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 going to come back. I think they're going to hit. You're right. The offense wasn't the problem. It was 100 percent the pitching. Uh, but the offense just wasn't to the level where it was early in the season when they were just carrying the entire team. But what if Aaron Judge is not superhuman in the second half? What if he's just good? You know, I think there's there's just going to be these other guys that have to that carry the, the the middle of that order and 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 kind of push them forward. And I, I think that's a lot to do with getting guys back healthy. I think with a, a healthy Holiday back in, I mean, he should be. He was rehabbing before the All Star break in Scranton, so he should be ready to go for Boston. Um, Castro, I believe, uh, Thursday and Friday, one of the two, he's going to Trenton and to do some rehab. So he, he could be back over the weekend at some point. So I think getting those guys back, um, you're talking about two guys who are like significant impact bats in the middle of that lineup that will help alleviate if Judge is to go through a slump. But he's just not showing that he can do that. I don't even think he's capable of a slump at this point. <laughs> well, you don't think that the home run derby is going to ruin his swing? Oh, no, he's, a, he's not a human being. If he, was, if he was actually immortal, then I could see how maybe there was an impact, but, but he's not. He's, he's, he is Zeus. Do you know how I know it's not going to ruin his swing? He hit half of his home runs to right field in the home run derby. Yeah, you're right. It was not a lot of huge effort. It was an effortless swing because that's how he does it. That's why I was not worried at all, and nobody in Yankee world should be worried about him overextending himself. He doesn't have to try. It's just batting practice. You noticed a little bit of a parallel to the 96 team between this team as far as the slumps that they've gone through. Well, I think it's just interesting if you look back because, I mean, if you're, if you're a Yankees fan and you, you know the story of the New York Yankees dating back to 1996, obviously this, this quote, rebuild is reminiscent of what they were doing in you know, 93, 94, 95 when they're building up all these young guys and coming through the system and then it culminated in 96. The, the 96 team... If you look at where they were at the halfway mark and the amount of, of talent that they actually added at the trade deadline, Cecil Fielder, um, David Weathers was an arm they added. They added uh, Graham Lloyd later. Uh, Charlie Hayes was a guy they added, I think, at the, towards the end of August or at some point in August. This, these, are, these are all like significant impact guys that, that came on. And the, we, I went back and looked. Uh, Rich Coffin was helping me out with this because he did all of the, the 96, the Relive 96 uh, recaps from last year when we, re, we recapped 
every single game from the second half of 1996, which was awesome. That was grueling. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun to look back on, and Rich did almost every one of those games. But if you look back and, and see some of the stretches that they had, from July 14th to September 8th, they went 24 and uh, 30. And they had, before that, before that streak started, before July 15th, they had a 10-game lead in the division. And then on September 10th, it was all the way down to two and a half games. So there's, there's a lot of parallels when you're looking at the, the stretch that the Yankees have just gone through to what the, the 96 team uh, you know, kind of fought through. I mean, they didn't have long winning streaks. They didn't have long losing streaks. I think it was capped at a winning streak of five. Um, and I think their longest losing streak uh, was around there as well. But, you know, just, it, it just proves the fact that you could go through these terrible moments in a season and still come back and win a championship and start a dynasty. It's all good. Couple things though, twenty four and thirty is bad, but it's not eight and eighteen, which is what the Yankees are over the last month. Eight and eighteen is worst team in baseball type of shit. I get that, but I, I think when you have to look at when you're when you're looking at a certain slump and you see a World Championship type team, when you have a really bad stretch, I think twenty four and thirty. When you're playing under five hundred ball, that's you shouldn't even be considered as a contender at that point for that ma- amount of time, and that's what. That's 54 games playing under 500 ball. That that if you saw that record, and and um, and then realized that they were a World Series champion, no, you wouldn't believe that. I mean, that's that's an unbelievable thing to look at, because usually teams that go through a stretch that long of under 500 do not do well and do not make it to October. You saw what the Yankees did in '96. Like you said, they went out and added a bunch of pieces that played big roles because they knew they were in it for the to make a playoff run. The Yankees right now are leading the wild card by one game over the Twins, and they play the Twins soon after the All-Star break. But if the Yankees don't turn it around and they keep falling, then Brian Cashman's going to look at this and saying, there's no way in hell I'm trading prospects for this team because they're not good enough to compete. So they might get themselves in a situation where Brian Cashman isn't confident enough in the team to add a couple pieces that might help. So you might not get those additions at the trade deadline. Well, I think a lot of those additions, whereas in 96, a lot of the, um, the prospects were up in the big leagues at that point, I think now we have some some guys in the minor leagues that can actually com- come in and contribute. So I don't think the additions will be exactly the same where we're going to go out and get a Cecil Fielder bat or, you know, I, I mean, I think a, a guy like David Weathers type reliever, uh, Graham Lloyd type reliever. I mean, those guys are guys that I think are, are very gettable in today's market for what Cashman's doing. I, I could see him going out and making a move like that. Now, if they have the same impact, I don't know. While, while Graham Lloyd didn't have a good... 96. I mean, he was a contributor from then on, but um, I think there's impactful arms that can that can help in the minor leagues and bats. Obviously, we're seeing what what, what Frazier is doing, so I, I think that there are are guys necessarily that that can help. Maybe not through um, you know making all these trades, but in the minors, the fact is that there's still additions that can help later in the season. So I, I still think that you know we have uh, guys that we can lean on. Absolutely. Let's get into some mid-season awards looking back at the first half. Who is your MVP not named Aaron Judge? So obviously you got to go Aaron Judge's MVP not named is my guy. I was I was between two guys and uh, I'm I'm going to sway on the side of Matt Holiday. And I'll tell you why. The reason one he's had an extremely productive season, uh, you know, probably he's driven in the second most runs on the team. He's been out with some <laughs> horrible voodoo disease over the past few weeks. Uh, but ever since then, he, you know, before that he was, uh, you know, he's proved that he's, he's in good physical condition. He can stay, he's, he stayed healthy um, physically and he's been a hell of a leader. I mean, you listen to what judge has talked about 
with the role that Matt Holiday has had with the way that he's played and, you know, just his approach to the game, that cannot go unmentioned because, you know, the I think a lot of the reason why Judge is is seeing the um you know the the quality of at bats and the, and obviously the the production that he's having is because of the mindset, the approach, a lot of the things that he's doing. So I think Holiday had a big part of that. So I'm giving it to Holiday for everything he's done on the field, and then also that veteran leadership off the field. You're such a fanboy. You just can't stop looking at his muscles. And he doesn't wear an undershirt, and he's just a <laughs> he's just a a, a a man's man. I, I dig it. Don't you know that that um, that there's anything not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> Don't you know DHs can't win the MVP? Yeah, well, this is, uh, that's why he's the runner-up. I'm going Aaron Hicks. You, When we put the notes in here, you were surprised I went Aaron Hicks. But he was actually the Yankees' second-best offensive player for the first two-plus months of the season. His on-base percentage was right up there with, with judges. It was like 420, 430. I know he slowed down after he had that little banged-up Achilles injury and then the oblique injury. But he filled in for Jacoby Ellsbury, tripled his production, played a good center field, the Yankees outfield was a juggernaut in the month of May, and it was a big reason of that. Obviously, it was Judge and Gardner had a great month, but Aaron Hicks was right there with all of them. Yeah, I mean, if you look at what he did early in the season, you know, he was definitely contributing in a big way. I just, um, I don't know. I, I mean, call me, call me the guy that just still doesn't believe it. Maybe that's why I can't put it's him on. It's fine. A, We're looking back. Level this of is, that. Yeah, this is I mean, it's still hard for me to look back and believe it too. But, retrospective. Yeah. I'm like, no, that that didn't happen. I'm gonna I'm gonna act like I forgot that that even existed. Um, but yeah, I mean, he was a major contributor, and I think it was uh, it, it came to a shock of everybody. Cy Young, I think you and I agree, it was tough decision, but we think Luis Severino has been the Cy Young because he's been the most consistent starting pitcher, and he's probably their best starting pitcher. And he's had hiccups. It's hard to pick. You got to pick a Cy Young. Severino kind of wins by default. Yeah, I think that's the that's the key is is a, he's a default winner. I don't think he he really earned a Cy Young. Well, if you look what happened last year with Severino, we could we're looking at him like okay, I mean that's that's a hell of a hell of a start uh, for for a guy that was absolutely abysmal last year and you know being rumored and talked about internally about being a bullpen guy eventually. So the fact that he made that turnaround is impressive. Um, and I think there's more. There's obviously you know a lot better things to come for Severino. Uh, but you look at the, the dynamic of the uh, of, of the way he throws, and then the strikeout to, um, to to walk ratio, and just the amount of uh, you know K's per inning. It's all impressive stuff. But it was it was close to me. It was very close with him and Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery, actually, great segue. He's the rookie of the year, other than Aaron Judge, who if Aaron Judge is going to win rookie of the year, I think he could probably not play in the second half, and people would still vote him the rookie of the year this year. But Montgomery is having an awesome season and would otherwise might even be rookie of the year for the entire league. Yeah. I mean, who won it last year? Uh, what's like his name? Fulmer. Fulmer. Right? Fulmer. Yeah. I mean, he's going to put up very comparable numbers, maybe even better numbers, you know, if he if he stays on this path. Uh, but Montgomery, you know, kind of under the radar, has had such a, a very solid first half of the season. And, you know, honestly, if you look back at his starts, uh, if you go game by game, you know, the, over the last month, a lot of his starts came at very big opportunities, like times where where we where the where the team needed a big start from him, and he delivered. So he's improved, I think, throughout the season. You know, up until that rain delay, which I'm not really I'm throwing that one out just because of the uh, the the weirdness of it. Can I also um, address something about that? So we got somebody on Twitter who said that in his post game press conference, Girardi said ten to fifteen pitches, not ten to fifteen minutes. 
I thought it was 10 to 15 minutes because I read an article in the New York Post and it said 10 to 15 minutes. I don't know if that was a typo or what was actually said. I still think our point it's from what stupid. we said it still last makes episode no sense. <laughs> remains. Because yeah. 10 to 15 minutes, 10 to 15 pitches, doesn't matter. If he's getting heated up again, it's, d- it's dumb. It was a dumb, bad decision on Girardi. We don't need to go all the way back into it. I just wanted to clarify. So 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 let's say 10 to 15 pitches. That very well could be one at-bat. You could have a guy foul a bunch of balls off, have one at-bat at 10 pitches, and then you're going to pull him after a 50-minute rain delay of keeping him loose. It's the most ludicrous thing I've ever heard. So, I mean, that's even less than 10 to 15 minutes. So it's even worse. It's still <laughs> stupid. So Trotty's an even bigger idiot. Yeah, he is an even bigger idiot if that's the case. So I, I don't know. Maybe the guy, whoever wrote that, was trying to help him out and giving him some, some extra time. <clears throat> so the whole thing is just ridiculous. Whatever. We're on the second half now. Um, but well, yeah, you know, he's just, he's progressed. I think he's been a guy that's that's progressed, and I, I'm, I'm expecting some uh, some very good things, even though he got option to AAA. <laughs> he's, he, sometimes he makes you forget he's a rookie from yeah. his from how he pitches, his poise, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, he definitely has a, a veteran demeanor. What player are you most surprised by in a positive way? Well, I mean, I think the, the easy answer is Aaron Judge, obviously, with uh, nobody expecting what the hell he's doing. I mean, so that's the easy answer. The second one is Aaron Hicks. I mean, Aaron Hicks is the guy that, that has surprised, I think, everybody when he came out and proved that he is that, that guy that Brian Cashman saw, uh, that, that thought he might be if he got regular playing time. I mean, I think that's been Cashman's narrative ever since we've gotten Hicks is that, you know, if this guy gets regular playing time and has the opportunity to um, put a, gun, a bunch of at-bats together, he's, he's that, that good of an athlete where he could be a, uh, a good productive baseball player. And that's what he's shown. I, I totally agree with you on Hicks, and I named him my runner-up MVP, so I don't need to go back into that. Let's flip it on the other side. Biggest disappointment. For me, it was the easiest answer out of them all, and that's the first base situation between Greg Bird's injury, Tyler Austin coming up, and then getting injured in his second or third game. The whole debacle with Chris Carter, first base has been a nightmare, and it's definitely been my biggest disappointment. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. It's a huge disappointment. I think when I'm thinking about a disappointment, though, I'm thinking about a healthy guy who's not pro- producing at, at a level where he's supposed to be. And, you know, you can't do much about injuries. They happen. So, I don't know. I think that's just part of the game. It's hard for me to call that a disappointment while I'm disappointed in the position. And I'm disappointed that I had to waste how many months of my life watching Chris Carter play baseball with his eyes closed? That's a disappointment for sure because I'm never, ever getting that time back. But you can you can tell your future son about the times you watched Chris Carter play baseball with his eyes closed. Anything is possible, son. Someone played Major League Baseball <laughs> with his eyes closed. That is true. It is a, it is a good rags to riches story. The um, but the biggest disappointment for me, hands down, is Masahiro Tanaka. I mean, talk about a guy that had everything to gain with an opt out clause to make some more money, go out there and and prove that he is the number one, the, the, the quote, ace of the New York Yankees, carry this young team and be the backbone of the pitching staff where um, where if we did have that guy, I think we'd be looking at a different scenario of, of how this team is uh, in the standings at this point. So, you know, he's been a huge disappointment, and there is no injury to, to, be, to be spoken of. He's healthy. He's out there. He's just not executing, and he's uh, just, just playing horribly. And unfortunately, when we thought he was – back and he had what three good stretches three good outings where it seemed like he was on the good path he just went back uh, against the brewers in the last game um before his all-star break and put up a complete goose just a a, just a horrible performance 
I'm not sure if you read the article that Andrew Marshan wrote about Tanaka. I think it was on Monday, basically saying that Tanaka has sabotaged the Yankee season. Might have been a little bit of a dramatic headline, but basically the gist of the article was that if Tanaka pitched like he had in his in last season or even an average of his last three seasons in this year, the Yankees would probably still be in first place. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a valid point. I mean, I think the, the wording, I agree, is, is a bit dramatic. But at the same time, you think about Tanaka, if you were to come in and, and be that, you know, that Cy Young level guy where he was last year, I mean, he was in the in the conversation for the Cy Young all the way to the end of the year. You, you throw a guy like, like that out on the West Coast in the middle of a terrible losing streak who could come out and deliver a win for this team. Who's to say what happens after that? Who's to say what happens if that if that losing streak and all of that painful baseball was nipped in the ass by a guy like Tanaka, you know, in the beginning of it or, you know, didn't let it get to that point when he was out there pitching. You know, who's to say that this team didn't rebound a lot faster and and get back on the uh, on the winning side of baseball. So, I agree. I mean, he was such a big part of this team coming into it, and the problem is is that he was a given, right? He was one of the guys that he was the we only one knew. we were confident about in that rotation. Yeah, we knew he was going to come in and pitch well. If anything else, Tanaka, we could rely on. Maybe he's not the true ace that you uh, you look towards. By the way, your boy Lester giving up how many like twenty five <laughs> runs in the first inning last week? Your, your other your <laughs> other ace that you uh, used, but you know he's he's got the he's always had the stuff that that you know puts uh, that keeps the team in a game. And um, and and he always had the numbers. He always pitched effectively, and your, uh, yeah, he's just been terrible. Your point about his Tanaka's inability to nut up is essentially what you were saying. Two starts stick out in my mind. One of them is the the start on Sunday Night Baseball after the Derek Jeter ceremony when the Yankees won the first game of a doubleheader and had a chance to split with the Astros. Instead, Tanaka gave up what was it four home runs in the first three innings? Something crazy it, like that. It was embarrassing. Whatever yeah, it was, embarrassing. Then also the start right before the All-Star break where they could finally win a series, have some momentum after the Frazier walk-off. Instead, he goes out there, gives up a three-spot in the first inning. Those are two back-breaking uh, bad starts from Tanaka that stick out in my mind from the first half. Yeah, and even, you could even go back to the one in Oakland after he had a good outing against the, um, what was it, the Rangers after the U Darvish. A- Angels. The Angels, yeah. What That was the one that Oh, well, you're talking about in in uh, in Oakland or yeah, versus Oakland on the West Coast where he yeah was... they played they played the Angels and he actually pitched decently that was the right. game that the Yankees won yes and, and so he... that's the one where he could have come back also I mean he could have come back in Oakland and pitched another good game um, but in but instead you know was not good and did did not do well against the the hit or miss I mean literally home run or strikeout Oakland A's roster and and just continued the path uh, the the downward trajectory of this team. And couldn't stop the pain of a West Coast, a terrible West Coast trip. So I, there, there's multiple. It's not just two, in my opinion. There, there are many, many times where he could have stopped the bleeding. I stand by my statement that if Tanaka doesn't turn his season around in the second half and starts pitching like Tanaka, then this team's not making the playoffs. Yeah, well, it's probably uh, it's probably a good point. I guess I just have more faith in him coming back and, and being a guy that can, you know, right the ship at some point. I I don't know. It's hard. It's hard for me to back that up. I just, I got nothing for you, but uh, it's, I guess it's the the eternal optimist. All right, let's let's start talking about some more positive stuff. If you had to think about one win, one game, what's the one that stands out to you from the first half? Yeah, that nine one game against the Orioles when they were down nine one and came back with a flurry of home runs with uh, Starling Castro. Was it the ninth inning where he was down on a knee, plucking it over the uh, over the yeah. left field fence? That was amazing. A, that, that was, was a one great of the- game. 
most memorable pictures from the first half is Castro with everyone in the crowd cheering and he's just admiring his home run from one yeah. knee. Yeah, I love that shot. It's a great shot. It really is. And yeah, that was to me the most exciting uh, game. And and it was it was it came at a time where you know we were excited about baseball and this team was <laughs> that was like, late April. Yeah, we were we were you know this team was was well over over uh, overcompensating and well overdoing the expectations that everybody had set. So it was a good time to be a Yankees fan at that point. That's definitely the game that sticks out for me too. I don't want to talk about worst loss because we could name anyone from the last three weeks at this point. Yeah. Oh shit moment. I, I had a tough time coming up with what the biggest oh shit moment was, but I think the one that came out of nowhere was Brett Gardner's go-ahead home run at the Cubs on that Friday afternoon game where it looked like the Yankees were going to lose that game. What, I forget if they were being shut out or if it was a 2-1 to one game at that, or at that point. He just yanks a ball, two-run homer over the right field fence, stuns the, the, the fans at Wrigley. Yankees go on to sweep that series. And that series, in my mind, was the one where I started to think, okay, this, this team could actually do something. They just swept the world champs, basically swept them in four games if you add in that Sunday night game. That Gardner home run came out of nowhere. That was, oh, shit. Yeah, looking back now, the Cubs, the way that they've been playing baseball, yeah, no, they're under not, 500 not, a now. A, not a great win, and they're only – their only guy in the all-star game is Wade Davis. I mean, who loses it? Yeah, who loses the game? I mean, you look at the the amount of superstars that's on that team, and none of those guys made the all-star game, which is crazy. I can't believe Chris Bryant. I don't even know what their numbers are. Honestly, I haven't looked at what the what the Cubs are doing offensively, but the fact that Schwarber got sent down and the fact that those guys are um, not doing well is uh, is crazy. Off off topic completely, but the um, that was definitely I think my my uh, my my biggest oh shit moment. Yeah, the secondary being uh, judges 496 foot blast. But in all honesty, like I feel like at this point, it's hard for me to look back and say, oh, shit, because we've seen so many oh, shit moments from this guy that it's not just one. Um, I think the one that puts it over the top for Guardy, the uh, Keith uh, McPherson, our guy, was out in Wrigley that game, too. And he was on Instagram uh, stories doing. The oh, yeah, that was video. amazing. And it was it was so much fun to watch. Honestly, like that was my probably my favorite story uh, on Instagram uh, that we've ever done because he was he was in the bleachers they were dogging Gardner and he had the the whole footage ready to go when Gardner hit the home run so it was it was a lot of fun to watch and and, and kind of relive it uh, through his video so it was fun final award to hand out is the Chris Carter eyes closed award and this one is the one that makes you cringe makes you want to look away wish it never happened for me it's easy it's the Dustin Fowler injury it was gruesome it was twisted it was cruel it was sick it was depressing. The Yankees lost that game, that Fowler injury. And and he's actually getting a lot of love from Yankee fans, which is awesome to see now. I know he got uh, – the Yankees posted something today that he's gotten a ton of, like, get well, get well cards. But, damn, that Fowler injury w- was tough to look at. Yeah, that's 100% the one that, that, uh, that I've identified. It's – I mean – Talk about just bad baseball, and then all of a sudden that on top of it, it's just like, oh my god, how much how much can we handle here? And then seeing a kid come out, and not even get his his at bat and his debut, it was just tough. It was all around painful. So, although hundred percent, hundred percent, that was that was it for me. I, I I don't wish it happened, but at the same time, that's the only reason Frazier's in the big leagues. No, it's true, but I mean, who's to say what Dustin Fowler would have done? We never know. It's it's unknown what Dustin Fowler, what kind of an impact he would have had as well. So, um. You know, it's just it's just a terrible thing. But yeah, things happen for a reason, I guess. Um, and Frazier's take, making the most of his opportunity. Unfortunately, the circumstances. You got any predictions for the second half? So, I think that we're in trouble with the Red Sox. 
I think the Red Sox are having a full second half with uh, with Chris Sale and uh, David Price. Well, I think David Price is is a complete um, a trash big game pitcher. I think he's he's probably going to have a good second half. Well, he doesn't least, have to be the ace anymore. No, well, I think it'll, he'll do it up until the point where it starts mattering. I mean, I think he's going to have a, a good second half in the regular season because that's what he does. Um, so I, I think that their their pitching staff is a lot better than ours right now, like a lot better when you look at their starting pitching. And their offense is coming alive. I mean, Mookie Betts is starting to really turn it on. You see some of these guys are who are uh, uh, just just having much better you know uh, seasons right now than they did. They, they came out to a really slow start offensively, and I think they're, they're obviously heating up. And I, I expect them to make a big move at the deadline, at least one move, because I think Dombrowski, they're, all, they're obviously going for it. I mean, they have a very small window. We talked about... Um, who was who we had on uh, Chad, Chad Jennings? Chad Jennings. You were you when you talked to him you talked about the fact that they don't have a lot of depth in that team and that a lot of the, they're throwing a lot of their punches right now with this current roster. So they have to win it now, and you know for the, their their plan is probably now in the next what three years maybe. But um, so I expect them to make some 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 big moves at the deadline as well, and uh, I just don't think we're going to have enough to take the East. Although I do believe that we will be right in the thick of things for the wild card. So I expect the Yankees to compete. I expect them to get better than this. I think this, this uh, three week stretch is just throw it out, start over. I don't think they're going to be the first, the, 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 you know, the, the April team, but I think there's, they're, they're a team that's a uh, much better than 500 and they'll compete for that second wild card. And I expect them to get it. I do. I expect them to get it. I expect Cashman to make a good move, if not two at the deadline and, 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 and that will help out. So. I agree with you that the Red Sox are are prob. I don't want to say run away with it, but I think they're gonna have this division handily by the end of the season. If the Yankees didn't crap all over themselves in the last few weeks and they and they had a three and a half game lead going into the All Star break instead of being down three and a half games, then it, then it's a competition for the rest of the season. But at this point, even if the Yankees take three out of four from the Red Sox this season, it's gonna be an uphill battle with them. Totally agree with you. My prediction, and it's a bold one. So I don't know if you heard, but Greg Bird is going to start a rehab. Uh oh! Don't don't jinx it. Don't jinx the second half. Don't do <laughs> Greg it. Greg Bird is going to come back and he's going to receive those MVP votes, even if it's from me on this podcast in the season wrap up awards. He's going to receive those MVP votes that I said he would receive back in March. So lots of confidence from the uh, the batting practice in in uh, Staten Island. Dry dry. Did he take some dry swings? Because dry swings. Oh, they were just dry swings. Yeah, I don't. I thought I saw. I saw that he was taking batting practice. Maybe it was just dry swings. I don't know. But you know, all I know is he's got to beat out He Man at this point because He Man is playing some phenomenal baseball, hitting moonshots, He Man st- stretching as far as he could possibly go. You know, getting going out and getting the ball, having the 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 leather wide open, and then closing after the ball. Uh, you know, progresses into the pocket of the glove like a first baseman is supposed to do. Uh, you got to beat out He-Man to uh, to get MVP votes because you got to get playing time. It's certainly been an eventful first half, no doubt both, about it. Both good and bad. Coaster. Holy shit! How, how do you feel about the twice a week podcast? You, that's a little bit of a grind for us too. We're not used to it. It is a bit of a grind. I think the grind is for us. We have a, a bit of an uphill, <laughs> a bit of an uphill battle ourselves with this two a week uh, thing. Knowing what's uh, <clears throat> what's coming up for me in the in the next few weeks, so. Um, but yeah, you know, it's been good. I'm glad we're on here. I think people are liking it. And uh, I, I like I like the fact that we're able to talk about the games almost as they're happening. Whereas once a week we were, I felt a little outdated yes. you know, talking about early in the week. So I feel like this is a much better format uh, to, to stay more current and relevant with what's happening on the field. 100% agree on that one. 
you guys want to submit mailbag questions for the upcoming podcast, we always do mailbag questions on Mondays. Go to bronxpinstripes.com slash podcast. You can also tweet us at Yankees Podcast. My handle is at Andrew underscore Rotondi, and Scott's is at Scott Reinen. Also, we do voicemails on Monday. Light up the voicemail line, 646-480-0342. It's going to be a fun weekend at Fenway. Doubleheader on Sunday, that Sunday night game. So we're not sure when we're recording the next episode, Scott, but it'll probably be after that game at some point. So we'll get all four of those games in there. So, like I said, eventful first half. We'll talk to you guys in a few days. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.